On this edition, we have Walkley Award-winning journalist, presenter, writer and podcaster Adam Shand as Nine returns to a new season of Australian Crime Stories. Adam, thank you for joining. Thank you very much, Aaron. It's a pleasure to be with you. Awesome. Now, before we uh, chat about the return of Australian Crime Stories, so listeners have some background about you, tell us about your first step into journalism. I believe it was with The, uh, the Australian. Oh, it's back in the prehistoric Ice Age days, mate, uh, back in the mid-80s. Uh, yeah. um, and I've, I worked in the financial area for a while, got investigative stuff there, and then I went to television and Africa for a few years where I still go back and do work. And, um, you know, a whole range of newspapers and radio and podcasts in between. It's all a bit of a blur at the moment, actually. <laughs> We've been focusing so heavily on this series of, of uh, Australian crime stories that everything else seems to be uh, just a, a preparation for that. Yeah, you, but you're obviously uh, fronting... Australian crime stories for nine, but this is not your first time working for nine, is it? You've um, done Sunday in a current affair. Oh, yeah, I'm a nine guy, I've got to tell you. I go right back to the early 90s uh, with Sunday and Business Sunday, and I just like their way of storytelling, their way of promoting stories, and the way they relate to the audience. It's just I'm, I'm a nine guy, and um, it's great to work with them again. Um, and they have really backed the crime, uh, the true crime space uh, very strongly, and, and backed my product in particular, so I couldn't be happier. Okay, well, you've won a, a Walkley Award in 2007 for exposing police corruption. Obviously a significant achievement, but I wonder, with, with these types of people you expose in the police and the underworld and so on, how much danger have you, have you been in? Has there been any scary moments from backlash? Uh, you get the odd scary moment, but I think most people, the worst thing is if you get the camera, you know, uh, this type of thing. I think there's, you know, there's a lot of people want to tell their stories and, and uh, you have to form relationships of trust with them, of course. I'm mean, going to go back to people like Carl Williams and, and his hitmen, uh, Andrew Venuman and those sort of people I was knocking around with. And I think if, if you fund it up and you were very transparent about telling their story, um, there's a certain cult of criminal celebrity that has benefited a lot of journalists and myself included where they wanted to talk. I mean, the, the true, I mean, when I started doing true crime uh, books uh, now about, what, 13 years ago, uh, you didn't see a, a criminal writing a book. Now, now you can hardly get the space on the shelf uh, for a real author. They're all the crims doing their books. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's get to Australian Crime Stories. It returns on Wednesday, September the 16th at 8.30 on 9. But an overarching question, though, um, these types of shows are very popular. What is the general member of the public's fascination with crime? Well, I think it's always been, you've got to go right back to the 50s. Raymond Carver, the great uh, author, said the, a crime story yeah, begins with a tragedy with the hope of a happy ending, a resolution. And I think that's what's driven people into podcasts and, and, and television and true crime in particular. Um, and they, they will follow the contour of a story because they feel outraged about, about the sense of injustice or what some family has suffered or some person has suffered. And they want to attach their trust and belief in, in an agent of change, be it a policeman, investigator, whatever, um, and they want to follow that story through to a resolution or to something that says the whole system has to change because mm. justice is simply not possible. Mm. Well, Jacinda Ardern um, has said that uh, she'll render the person accused of the Christchurch terrorist attack nameless and urge the public to speak the victim's names instead. Now, obviously a great idea in thought, but one would, you'd think would be difficult in practicality. Do you agree with this idea or should names be spoken in terms of education or reporting, but perhaps not in glorification? What's your thoughts around that whole subject? 
Well, you know, I mean, it's it's all well and good for politicians to talk about let's not glorify and let's not... I mean, I think that we have to know the story. You know, I think if we start to... I mean, the cult of Ned Kelly, for instance. I mean, he he was a, an armed robber who killed police. Let's let, let's be clear about that situation. He's our first criminal celebrity. So chose to ignore that side of things and promote him as a folk hero. And I don't think you can you can't wish away the interest in these crimes. And you certainly will be bound to repeat history if you don't understand the drivers behind the kind of offending that we're talking about in our series, be it from a mental health perspective or disadvantage or police corruption or whatever it is. So I, I agree. I certainly agree with Jacinta Ardern in terms of terrorism. I think we spent a long time talking about the terrorist and, and not enough about the victim. But I think uh, in crime, this is often there are, there are reasons why in our society these crimes occur and why these people emerge. And we do well to understand those while giving the uh, victim of crime a fair go as well. Mm. Well, we will discuss the first episode of Australian Crime Stories featuring notorious former New South Wales detective Roger Rogerson and his accomplice Glenn McNamara. But what uh, other stories will be featured across the new season? I ask because um, I believe we'll have some real famous cases such as Lawyer X and uh, Mr Brown. Yeah, exactly. Lawyer X is a fantastic case. It's probably it's one of the greatest characters of justice in Australian history. And I don't think that we've been well served by the, the media so far on this story. We've seen Nicola Gobbo go to the ABC and control her narrative completely, um, whereby she paints herself as a victim um, and that she was only doing what she was asked to do. And there's a whole range of unanswered questions that we look at in our, in our story, which actually I think is in the public interest. But her role in at least um, having knowledge, allegedly, of two murders, her conniving with police to uh, produce outcomes which were not in the public interest. She's rarely addressed those burning questions. I've done it on the podcast as well called Lawyer X Under State, as well as our Australian Crime Stories, uh, Lawyer X, The X Factor. So I think this uh, drives the argument a lot further. We've seen the Royal Commission down here basically decline to say whether they're going to charge anybody. And I think now the public is really is left with a situation where the police will be investigating themselves and they have a common interest with Nicola Gobbo of minimising what was an absolute travesty that went on for a decade. Yeah, um, a thought just came to mind, though, with uh, Lawyer X, because you obviously have some uh, extensive background with that. Obviously, uh, there was the, the underbelly-type series, the Lawyer X one, recently. Was that... Um, as far as you know, a fairly accurate portrayal of what happened or, you know, being a TV show was a, was a lot further than probably the truth? Um, the story was still unfolding when those things were made. So, you know, um, it's a bit like talking about the coronavirus halfway through. Yeah. You're not going to get the whole story. And I think the significance of what Nicola Gobbo has done will only be apparent when we start seeing the crooks walking out of jail because of what she's done. So the the, the rock hasn't even hit the pond yet, in a sense. The ripples haven't even started. We, we, we've been told half of the story. And I think they were commendable efforts to be able to tell a story that was like a train rushing to its destination, only halfway there. Mm. Uh, so uh, I would never gainsay their efforts there. But I think we now have, we now have a, the luxury of time to sort of see where this will go from here. The, the media release talks about yourself chasing down fresh leads and revealing new evidence in some of the stories. Obviously, no spoilers people have to watch, but 
what kinds of evidence are you talking about? Is it perhaps new witnesses or fresh CCTV uh, footage? What what sort of new evidence might come about? Well, what, it's a combination of, of looking at all evidence, and but also testing the assumptions, even in older stories that are resolved. Uh, understanding, um, you know, for instance, in our in our story called A Deadly Friendship on Jonathan Dick, the uh, man who killed his brother with a sword here in Melbourne, he, uh, I don't want to give a spoiler here, but um, he ends up being found not guilty on the grounds of mental impairment. So we're going through every single piece of evidence to, to say, to suggest or to work out whether that's appropriate and have the, the interests of the victims been properly balanced with the necessary uh, concentration on mental health Mm. And and the uh, the reasons for offending. So so that's that's a really important public debate, and it's about going through the evidence, talking to people that that um, you know you don't normally get to speak to, the friends of Jonathan Dick, his former best friend, people he knew all the way through. So understand what his character was and what happened. Yeah. Well, um, let's look at episode one. It's uh, that looks at former disgraced detective Roger Rogerson and his accomplice Glenn McNamara, and the conviction of murder for Jamie Gow. I'm not sure how insensitive this question is, but um, what are your thoughts on the sloppiness of this murder? Um, it's just from my opinion, obviously watching the episode, Roger Rogerson joined the police in 1958 and has decades of service. He obviously is aware of evidence, DNA, uh, later in his career, um, how bodies have been successfully disposed, CCTV footage. Uh, it looked like a couple of amateurs, really, dumb and dumber. Did Roger just think he was invincible or...? Was this just carelessness? Well, it might have looked like that. It might have looked like it was incredibly sloppy. But Roger had one thing in his mind all along. He knew that there were cameras at that facility where they murdered Jamie Gow. He knew that. He knew they were all over the place. But he also knew the footage would be erased within two weeks. So the police only had a very, very short window. And this was a brilliant piece of police work by Russell Oxford and the Homicide Squad New South Wales that actually unraveled this because they followed this through. Can you imagine? They, they get a tip-off that a drug deal is taking place near to this location. So they start to do surveillance there, and they look at all, all the cars in the area. Whose car do they see? Roger Rogerson's, okay? And they see the cars go off towards the, um, the storage facility. They follow the trail. They get the CCTV. They start off two or three days behind the killers, and by the end, they've caught up and they've arrested them. A magnificent work. But a strange story in a way, because Roger Rogerson I know well, and... We used to talk about, in fact, months before he killed Jamie Gow, we were talking about uh, the disposal of bodies. And he would say, listen, all these people who, who just drop bodies at sea, they're crazy. You've, you've, you've got to open the body up and release the gases, otherwise you're going to make a comeback. And of course, that's exactly what happened. Um, they dumped J Jamie Gow's body, wrapped him in a, in, a, um, in a tarpaulin, attached an anchor chain and dropped him in the water. But unfortunately, the chain broke. Oh. Up comes, comes to the surface. So, again, sloppy... But a bit of bad luck too. But I think overall, just a really great investigation by Russell, Russell Oxford, who incidentally used to idolise Roger, uh, you know, uh, as a great detective and uh, you know won all these awards and things. And so it was a very interesting tribal moment where New South Wales Police finally had to uh, excise the influence of Roger Rogerson because he could still find out what was going on in the investigation, unbelievably, yeah. Yeah. even to this day. So. It's a, it's, he's left a very deep stain on New South Wales Police, and I think this was a great thing to see him put away. And I think what we're also going to see is people now emboldened talk about other crimes that he may have committed, and also the way that he got into the media and tended to 
manipulate the way stories were told about him and others. Um, and uh, he was a very, very clever man, ruthless and a total psychopath. Well, on that, it, it appeared at one stage that he was a good cop, and then t- sort of towards the end of his career, he crossed to the dark side. But stories, evidence and testimony seem to indicate that he walked the dark side, for, for a better term, from much, much earlier in his career, perhaps as early as the 1970s. Is that right? Well, you look at the culture of what was going on in New South Wales at the time and what the public expected of police. We had like a, uh, an epidemic of, of uh, armed robbers at the time. Organised crime was flourishing. Um, there was a lot going on and uh, there was a hopelessness amongst the public about the effectiveness of the police to win the streets. Roger and others decided that they were going to address that and, and their superiors backed them in and they for a long time had a lot of success. So it's easy to look back and say everything was bad and wrong in those days, but there's no doubt Roger was a very successful policeman. Um, But I think he was always very susceptible in a situation where unlimited power was confirmed, unlimited potential for corruption was there. Um, Those of a firmer moral fibre didn't fall to it. Roger was obviously found wanting and and, uh, it it was the, the beginning of the end for him, the kind of latitude he was given. Well, obviously, uh, he was convicted in 2016 for the murder of Jamie Gow. Roger Rogerson basically claimed that Glenn McNamara did it, Glenn claimed that Roger did it. Both went into that story shedder, both came out, and Jamie was dead. There seems to be no forensic evidence of actually who did it, but both were convicted. Just for perhaps for the legal um, amateurs at home, can you explain how two people can get charged with a murder when both claim that the other one did it? Well, it's the classic defence. It's called the cutthroat defence, where two people involved in a crime um, are the only ones who know actually what happened. So what they do is they accuse each other to create reasonable doubt for one another. Because, see, in court, it's not about what happened. It's not about, it's about what you can prove happened beyond reasonable doubt. And there was always that doubt um, uh, while they were continuing to say the other one did it. But unfortunately for Roger Rogerson, um, the forensic evidence was damning. His, he had gunshot residue inside his pocket. He had it all up his sleeve. Um, it was all over him, indicating that he was the one that pulled the trigger. Whatever stories they were telling, he was the one that pulled the trigger. But at the end of the day, it didn't matter who pulled the trigger because they were both involved in a heinous moment and neither one, despite um, the protestations, went to the police and said this horrible thing has happened. So at the end of the day, the jury didn't need to, to adjudicate which one pulled the trigger. They were, they were both involved in a joint criminal exercise. Well, you seem to, you obviously know a lot about these guys and their background uh, reporting, so it's only an opinion. What do you think actually happened in the story shed and who pulled the trigger? I was going to ask, but you've sort of alluded to that it was, uh, you think it would be Roger. So what do you think actually happened? Because in, in the episode, it obviously shows two very different um, perspectives. Yeah, it did. I mean, I think what you see all along um, is Roger setting up a plausible deniability of the whole thing. All the meetings with Jamie Gow, McNamara is there. You never see Roger. Um, you never. Roger doesn't pick him up at the site. Um, Roger walks in, and I would suspect the very first moment that Jamie Gow knew Roger was involved was when he walked in the, in the door of that shed, pulled the gun out, and shot him twice. There would have been a shocking surprise. Gow was just sitting there, completely calm. He'd allowed himself to be, you know, covertly brought into the storage shed 
He was playing along with everything. This is exactly the way Roger wanted it to play. And poor old Glenn McNamara, if I can use that, I use that term reservedly, he's a murderer. Um, but poor old Glenn McNamara, he was completely gulled by Roger Rogerson as well. Um, oh. And hence, hence why very quickly after when McNamara realised he'd been completely set up, he rushes to the Australian Crime Commission and tries to give statements against his his former uh, comrade. And the remarkable thing is he's lagged him on almost day one and they spend the next 50 days in the same cell. Can you imagine the conversations there, Aaron? <laughs> wow. Yeah, well, we obviously talked about this uh, Percy episode quite a bit. Yeah, it is interesting. And even with the extra detail that you've given it, I actually might have a look again because, as I said, it did seem a bit sloppy and stuff, but, you know, I, just, I wasn't aware of that, the two-week window and stuff like that. So it's... Uh, Maybe I'll have a look at Yeah, that's right. It looks, it looks, and when you go there, when you go there on the scene, the other thing is you look at the CCTV, it looks like it's far away. The camera's, you know, metres away. But it's, you're right on, right on top of them, essentially, when you're there. And we, we walked extensively and saw the, uh, the storage shed and all that kind of stuff. And you realise, my God, how brave, brave and audacious it was in, in a totally psychopathic way. Um, but this factor was so key that, that the, the, the footage cycles through. I mean, there are also great moments in the investigation. I'm not sure we didn't get a chance to put this in, where um, uh, Roger has decided that the best way, they steal Jamie Gow's drugs. They put it in the car that, that McNamara has, has um, uh, bought for the purpose, puts it in the, in the basement of, of his apartment block. Um, what was going to happen is a tow truck driver was going to come and take the car away with the drugs in it, and then a third party was going to get the drugs from the car in the wrecking yard. But the police got in first and they stole the car from under his building. Oh. And as, as McNamara comes down, his car and all the drugs are gone and he's losing his mind. At that very moment, you have the police inside the video room of the apartment trying to scrub the tape so he doesn't know who... And he's bashing on the door saying, let me in, let me in. I want to get get to the tape and see who's done it. And they wouldn't let him in. So it's just an incredible police operation. And, uh, you know, so um, uh, cunning and evilness was uh, was overcome by by great diligent uh, investigation. It's a great result. You obviously have a a huge background. And this uh, podcast was to talk about the uh, series. But um, I did want to mention about your books because if people... uh, are interested in, in reading a bit more about some of the work that you've done. You do have a few books out. I believe one of them's um, about Carl Williams and also another one about the Kangaroo Gang. Can you tell us a bit more about your your writing that you've done? As a yeah, bit, bit? yeah. I've written six books. I mean, I came into crime writing in early 2000s and I, I knew nothing about it. It was just this big story, Melbourne, the Gangland War. And, you know, that exposure to the Melbourne underworld, has, I guess, led to a sort of a long-term tutelage in the in underworld matters in australia and it's they need to look at the outlaw bikey scene it's uh, chopper reed um one of the great fraudsters of australian crime um storytelling um and uh and a deep look at carl williams and the antecedents of that gangland war and it's really stood me in, stood me in good stead over the years but i feel like i'm trapped in that story in a way mm. so it's nice to be able to, to to get to a whole new range of stories with Australian crime stories, with with, the, with I guess some of the some of the contacts that we build up over 20 years of doing this, um, which has been useful, and that, that that trust you build up is critical. And I think um, uh, as I brought my stories to the full box, the production company, I could really depend on them to understand the subtlety of those relationships, 
and that they had to sort of survive this story uh, while, while getting the truth out. So it's been a wonderful juggling act. I think sometimes television, you know, boils everything down and makes it just, you know, easy to understand but dumbed down. And I think that's, if I can be as, as, as bold to suggest that we've avoided that uh, outcome uh, in the series. You've also done a, um, a podcast series, Adam and Chan at Large. Can you tell me a, a bit more about that as well? Yeah, I've been working at, at Podcast One Australia now for the last three and a half years. We've got a range of series there, and it's been a, a, a wonderful opportunity to explore the power of podcasting in a, in a true crime sense because we can spend as long or as little time as we need we can make these as long or as short as we need to do. Um, some of these things are, are sort of five hours and more long. And they've also been a way of doing the research in the most cost-effective way to then link up with Channel 9. Obviously, Podcast One Australia through Southern Cross Australia has a relationship with Channel 9. So we see this as a way of developing content in our podcast business that then can be showcased on Channel 9 to, um, to, to deepen and, and develop that relationship. Yeah. Well, okay, so big first episode of Australian Crime Stories coming up. It's actually good to see also some new content um, on, on television. Obviously, with the networks, there's been a um, reduction in, in development because of COVID-19, so a few repeats and a few movies coming in, but we, we've got a full season um, of Australian Crime Stories to take us, uh, I think, right through to the end of the ratings year. Oh, yeah, exactly. I think it's been a great, a great tribute to the production team again. We managed to... We got so much done around Christmas time, we gave up our, our Christmas dinners and things to work on this series because we knew there was, a, there was a deadline going on. But then COVID hit and we were in a position to continue working on it through lockdowns in Melbourne and Sydney. And we're, we're doing a couple of uh, final shoots for one of the later episodes. And you wouldn't believe that the permits and things that have had to be obtained yeah. uh, by the production team in Sydney, the full box, Jerry Coy in particular, has done an amazing job. And to get us to do these things, and I think this is, this is a bit of a... I mean, I'm not sure how long this COVID thing lasts, but I think it may be a, a new standard of how we make television. It's got to be cost effective. It's got to be um, within the realms of whatever's taking place in public health emergencies and so forth. So, you know, I think it's, um, it shows how television is adaptable and, and, and uh, the audience uh, still wants these, these productions. We can find a way to give it to them. Yeah, I'm glad you got it in in time. But um, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time and looking forward to the first episode of Australian Crime Stories, although it is season four now. But, Aaron, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much for your interest. I really appreciate it. It's been great talking to you. Adam Shan, investigative journalist and presenter of Australian Crime Stories, Wednesday the 16th of September at 8.30pm on 9, kicking off with that Roger Rogerson murder case. You can search Adam Shand at uh, Adam Shand at Large Podcast on podcastaustralia.com.au and he has published uh, a number of books. I'll just mention a couple of them, Outlaws, Inside the Truth About Australian Bikers, This Skull, in Informers, Hitmen and Australia's Toughest Cop, Big Shots, The Chilling Inside Story of Carl Williams and the Gangland Wars, and King of Thieves, The Adventures of Arthur Delaney and the Kangaroo Gang. So you can search for those ones.